that we can give back to you a portion of what you've given to us, for it all comes from you. And you are so gracious and loving to us. Help us to be faithful and truthful to you and giving back to you. We just thank you, Father, for this day that we could come here and we could worship you and we could send praises up to you for all that you have done for us. And we ask this in the name of our awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And you may be seated as the boys and girls go out and follow Miss Anna. We thank you. I just have a couple of announcements very quickly. Don't forget that Upward Soccer is going to begin in the fall and that Miss Rochelle could use all the help that she can get. So please contact her if you have a a desire or God wants to lead you into being a part of that ministry. And even if you don't know anything about soccer, she'll help you learn. So be sure to contact her. Also, uh, for Children's Church, we're in desperate need of snacks. They get a snack on Wednesday and on uh, Sunday mornings. And so if you could provide some snacks, we would appreciate you bringing those in. Make them individual wrap cookies, uh, crackers, uh, different kinds of uh, drinks that they could uh, have. So uh, be faithful to what God lays upon your heart to bring. Thank you. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Judy, for your prayer, your, your leadership. We're grateful for you. We're glad you guys are back from Israel safely. And um, we're going to get into the scripture here in a little bit. want to take the time now to welcome all of our guests. If you're visiting for the first time, want to just uh, let you know how grateful we are that you're here with us this morning and that you have received a hearty welcome in God's house from our people. And so if that didn't happen, let us know. I doubt that didn't happen but you never know. So anyway, we're glad you're here. We're also glad that everybody else, uh, all of our people, it's good to see your faces this morning. Let's get into the Word. Last week we were in John, Gospel of John, and we began in chapter 14 and verse 1. And so we're going to continue there, uh, kind of just an impromptu type of a series in the middle of the summer uh, about worry and, um, you know, stressing out and having anxiety, uh, these kinds of things that happen in our lives uh, that you know, we just have this temptation to want to be, you know, worrisome or to have some kind of a, a stress in our, in our emotions and our thinking and uh, what the Bible has to say about these things. And so it brought us to John last week, John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in verse 1, and that's where we were last week. So let's start there, and then we'll move forward. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's where we were last week. We were talking about kind of what all this trust, discussion, definition, uh, some of these uh, understandings, ideas that we have about trust. What is it? And so we broke it down. And then we began to talk about trusting in God the Father as Jesus would talk to his disciples that for sure there needs to be trust in his Father. The same way that he himself would place trust in his Father. That every single thing that he did, he brought before the Lord in prayer. And, uh, and so as he had displayed it to his disciples, he's saying, listen, trust in God. And then 
trusted me as well. And the fact that, you know, you've been able to see this example that I've given you, that you can take from this example and then apply it into your lives, that this is who we should be as God's people. And so that's where we left off last week. Now picking up then in verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So we're going to stop right there and let's talk about these few verses that, uh, that we just read. And it seemed like Jesus almost shifts gears a little bit. You know, we're talking about uh, trust and trusting in God and trusting in me. And then he's going to talk about um, going to prepare a place. Now, this is a passage that many times as a pastor, whenever there's going to be a, a funeral, a memorial service for someone, that I've preached out of this particular passage and kind of talks about, you know, uh, eternity and talking about heaven and uh, so it's always just a very good uh, topic in the scripture to share with people uh, that are grieving for uh, loved ones, uh, you know, kind of the uncertainty of what happens after death, you know. Uh, there are so many times where even as, uh, as a minister, you're doing family counseling, grief counseling with people, that they kind of just have these questions. And even church people, listen, some of us sometimes we know about heaven and we've you know talked about heaven and that's our hope is heaven uh, but there's always that kind of what is after this and what's it going to look like and we have descriptions of course in the scripture uh, about what it's going to look like but it's a whole different thing when you're uh, dealing with someone that you love someone that you cared about someone that has passed on and you begin to wonder it's human to sit in a memorial service or a funeral and think about what's on the other side well, we have Jesus here uh, talking to his disciples about the uncertain, uncertainty of all uncertainties, which is what's on the other side. And Jesus is going to talk to them about going to a, prepare a place for them. Now, how many of you are grateful this morning that that's th this life that we live here, that's not all there is? Are you grateful this morning? Because it comes with a lot of problems and struggles and difficulties, whether you're talking about health problems or you're talking about hurts. Uh, wrong relationships, people being evil to people, ugly things that we see uh, displayed in the six o'clock news every single day. We're seeing this fallen world and it gives us hope as Christians that even the good times that we have, there's something even better than that. And Jesus here is talking to his disciples. Now, as much as we hear this and we know that Jesus' words are true, that we can trust his words, there's still the temptation, at least even for his disciples, to struggle with the idea that he's going away. And I know this firsthand that, you know, there have been people in my life that I've really loved and cared for, and I've, I've just really been grateful to God for their influence in my life. And no bigger influence in my life than uh, our own lead pastor, uh, Mark Bain, who is my pastor. Who, he was a guy that, you know, when I was born again, I remember coming to the church and, and listening to him preach. And under his preaching, I was able to grow, to find out who God actually was, to learn how to pray and learn how to read the Bible and even go beyond that to study the Bible. He was someone that, you know, was uh, instrumental in my development as a Christian and for sure as a pastor, 
that today I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his investment in my life. And I know that even being under his ministry for the span of about 12 years, uh, of those 12 years, nine of those years were spent on his staff. And so not only then would I learn how to be a Christian, but that he would teach me how to be a pastor, how to do the kinds of things that are required when you talk about a minister of the gospel. You know, what is it that we do? What, how, how do we apply some of the, the different things that we need to, like say, for instance, counseling or, or discipling people, uh, you know, doing visits and all these kinds of things, teaching Bible studies and, of course, preaching. And so everywhere he would go, we would go with him. I mean, I remember I'd be in my office doing some kind of work, and he'd knock on the door, and he'd just kind of barge in. He would never even wait for me to say, come in. That's kind of his personality, you know, just kind of a bull in a china shop. And uh, he would just open the door. He said, what are you doing? And I'd say, well, I'm working on a study, or I'm working on a sermon, or whatever I was doing, right? And he'd say, okay, just fold that up. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to do a visit. Or... We're going to go and uh, pick up a part for this car. I, I, need, a, I need someone to go with me. And uh, it was always just that we were going to, you know, have fellowship together. We were going to do stuff together. And he was always that way with the staff. He was always taking them under his wing. And along the way, there was some kind of lesson to learn. And, uh, and so he would just, you know, pour himself into his, his uh, leaders, into his staff. And, um, and so I just figured I'd be a staff member for the rest of my life under his ministry. I was happy to do it. In fact, there was a time when there was a, a DS that had come to me and said, hey, you know, I'd like you to pray about this kind of a church, uh, leading this church, and, and uh, pray about it and, and all this. And I remember I went to him, and I, I told Pastor Man, I said, well, this DS had invited me to be a pastor and pray about this. And he goes, he goes well, you could do that. That would be a problem. Uh, you know, pray about everything. That's what you should do. You know, maybe God would call you to do something like that. He goes, but let me just tell you from a practical perspective, you pastor more people than most lead pastors will ever pastor in this ministry. And, uh, and you know, your Bible studies are bigger than most of the churches that most pastors pastor. And, uh, and he says, so you have a lot of influence uh, on people more than you realize. And I thought, oh man, I never thought of that. And so I remember praying about it, not feeling a movement of the Holy Spirit to go and say yes to that call, and I stayed there. So in my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to be there forever. I'm going to be there serving under his leadership for the rest of my life. And I thought, that's fine with me. And uh, so one day he came to me and he says, hey, I'd like to take you and your wife uh, to San Diego. Uh, we have a trustees meeting at Point Loma, and he was on that trustees committee or whatever. And so he says, I'd like to take you guys. I have to talk to you about some things. And we said, okay, great. So you remember we went to the Marriott there, him and his wife. There was this little area where he liked to go and eat um, uh, this uh, berry basket. It was, you know, just one of his favorite things in, in life to partake of. And so he takes us there and, and he says, what I'm getting ready to tell you, uh, I just don't even know what, you know, what it's going to, what's going to happen. He said, but I feel like I have so much trust in you, so much trust in you specifically that I'm going to ask you to pray about becoming the lead pastor of this church here at Sandia in Albuquerque. And that church at the time was running about eight, 900 people. You know, I'd never been a lead pastor ever in my life. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, man. And I thought, well, where are you going? That's the first natural question. Where are you going? You know, if I'm going to be the lead pastor at, at Sandia, if that's what happens, well, then, you know, where are you going? And he says, uh, the Lord is uh, calling me potentially to be a lead pastor here in San Diego, and I'm going to take a couple of staff people with me to do this work here in San Diego. And I'm telling you, 
I didn't care too much about being a lead pastor at that point. I was upset with Pastor Bain for not wanting to take me with him to San Diego. No, of course, it's San Diego. Has anybody ever been to San Diego? If you could afford to live there, that's, that'd be a great place to live. But the first part's a big deal, if you could afford to live there, right? Uh, it's pretty expensive to live there. And I'm upset with him. I'm like sitting there, and I'm not even listening to anything he's saying. There's a berry basket there, and I'm like, you know, take me. I want to go. Forget those other guys. I, I want to be on your staff in San Diego. I just was very much hurt by that, and I was uh, confused. And, uh, and so I, I was upset with him for, for doing that. And so I remember we left that, uh, that place there at the Marriott, and we went to our room. And I remember telling Jennifer I was extremely um, distraught and um, struggling uh, with the possibility of not being in his ministry. And I remember as uh, we were talking about all these things, the Holy Spirit had come to me and he says, you know, you got to make sure that you're attached to me and not to a person. He took me to this passage. He took me to a passage in the Old Testament. I'll never forget these two passages because they were instrumental in my development as not even only a Christian, but a pastor for sure. The other passage was this, this time when Elisha and Elijah, Elijah was the uh, kind of the, the discipler, and Elisha was his disciple. And he was the one who would take him under his wing and train him and teach him. And he was his master. These two passages, the one here in John and this one in the Old Testament with Elisha and Elijah, there was this time when their, their, their master, their leader, whether it was Elijah or Jesus respectively, that there was going to be a time when they weren't going to be there to be that person's disciple. And now I'm in this crisis and I'm reading this, and the Holy Spirit is making it abundantly clear to me that I've attached my faith, even unwittingly, and placing it onto a person. I was projecting all of my trust onto this person. Now let me say about this person that he was used of God, that he was someone that God had placed in my life instrumentally, strategically, to help me to become the minister of the gospel that he wanted me to be. But isn't it true that sometimes in, in all of our lives that there are these people who God places in our lives as our leaders, as our disciples, as people that mean something to us. They mean the world to us. We love them. We care for them. And yet, instead of us attaching ourselves to Him, we've attached ourselves to them. They can come in the form of disciples or Bible teachers or even pastors. And understand this, that God's intention for you is never to attach your faith to them, but to place it solely on Him. There ought to be some more amens in here, and I'll tell you why. Because it's temptation for every single person in this room to be able to see somebody in their flesh and blood, someone they can touch, someone they can hear, someone they can grab, and to be able to place some kind of, a, of an affection and an, a, a, an attraction to that kind of a, of, a, of a knowing entity as opposed to somebody we can't see. These disciples are, are, are worried. I mean, that's why he has to tell them. He has to stop. You know, throughout the Gospels, Jesus was always saying these kinds of things. 
Jesus was saying, you know, this is going to happen to me. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to ha be handed over to the chief priests, the, the, the teachers of the law. This is what's going to happen, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, and I'm going to go away. And these, these guys would be just totally just struggling. I mean, they, they would have a hard time with his words. In fact, one place, you remember, in the Gospel of Matthew, one of those depictions is where Peter rebukes him. And he says, no, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. We won't let it happen to you. And Jesus has to rebuke him, understanding the big picture. Obviously, Peter had the little picture. But there was a bigger picture. And he had to rebuke him. And he said, listen, you have the things of man in mind, not the things of God. You need to get behind me with that kind of thinking, with that kind of attitude, with this kind of a mentality that you want to be able to control things even still. That needs to be behind you. And he calls it coming from Satan. Now, understand this, that something that is good and something that is holy and something that is part of God's plan can become evil. Understand that. At any point, anything that God creates that is good, God says it's good, that the devil will come and pervert it. He does that even in this kind of a discussion here. In a, in a man like Pastor Bain, he's somebody who's still my friend to this day. And in fact, he's someone that I will bounce things off of. And if he says, hey, listen, you're not seeing this the right way. Have you considered this? Or, or maybe your attitude's not right about this. He'll be somebody that God uses in my life even to this day to, to help me with these kinds of things in my life. But understand this, that with regard to somebody who is used in this, in this fashion in our lives, that the devil can come and pervert. He can come and, and distort it. He can come and twist it. And so instead of me then placing my trust in God, then I can just actually attach my trust onto, onto this, this, this guy that God brought into my life. You see how that works? Now understand this, that every single person, listen, you can take this to the bank. These are the best odds that you will ever find in Las Vegas, Nevada, all right? One in every one person is going to die. You ought to, you ought to just kind of let that soak in a little bit, all right? Those are good odds. If you wanted to put money on anything, I'm not suggesting that any Nazarene bet on anything so that the DS, if he's watching on Facebook, he can not have a heart attack. Uh, but I'm going to tell you that there's uh, coming a day when we're not going to be on the planet anymore. And um, so when you begin to think like this, you realize that all of us are expendable. You understand that? They're, we're all expendable and we're all moving parts. I mean, when you start to think about all of the different change that's happened in your lives, especially some of our senior adults, think about all the changes that you've seen throughout your life. People that were in your life and people that go out of your life. Uh, people that are part, a key, integral part of your everyday dealings, and then they move on and they're not a part of your everyday dealings. And this is part of life. Even with those of you that are older and have older children, the way that we as younger parents, uh, well, I like to include myself in that because I have younger children, so I'll just put myself in that, in that fold there. Um, they're not always going to be little. You enjoy them, and you hug them, and you love them, and you squeeze them, and then they get older and they say, Dad, come on, you're embarrassing me. And you think, man, what happened? It changed. And then after a while, then they start dating someone, and then you're thinking, oh, man, you know what's next. They might get married, and then they get married, and then what happens? Then they move away, and then you get to see them at Christmas, or you get to see them once a year, whenever that is. And you thought, what happened there? I remember when they were little. You used to scoop them up and hug them and love them and squeeze them and call them George. But things change. And I think that there was some kind of a nostalgia that probably these, 
disciples. They were enjoying the moment, which is a good, I think it's a good teaching for us this morning to not fret so much about what's going to happen, but to enjoy this moment that you have in front of you. You know, Jesus talks about in the Gospels that we don't even know what's going to happen. We don't know. Today has enough issues and problems and whatever that we have to worry about what's going to happen down the road. You know, one of the best things that I ever received from anyone was a guy at Roswell uh, Nazarene, Roswell First Nazarene. And he said to me, he said, when Ezra had been born, he says, you know what? Enjoy them. Like, enjoy your kids. Love them. Don't be so quick to see them graduate from, uh, you know, a pacifier to diapers to walking and looking forward to the next thing that you miss out on what's in front of you. And I remember when he said that to me, I, I, I mean, you know, sometimes people give you advice and just kind of, just you know, but that was one of those ones that stuck. And with my kids, I have enjoyed every single phase of their lives because I realize how fast it is. And it is fast. It is just a blur. And um, I think that in terms of this nostalgia that these disciples, Jesus would say something and then they would fret about what was going to happen. And I think that they wanted to hold on to this time that they had with Jesus. They wanted to, you know, for it to always endure. And Jesus understood that it wasn't always going to be that way. Now, here's the good news. Jesus promised them someone. Jesus was going to talk about in the latter part of 14 and going into 15 and even into 16, the blessed Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to grab a hold of this. This is really good for what we're going to talk about this morning. People stress out about these key people that they have in their lives, that what would ever happen to me if they left? What would ever happen to my faith if this person wasn't a part of my life? Well, I mean, these are real things. These are things that I struggled with at that Marriott in San Diego the night that Pastor Bain said he was going to take a church in San Diego. The prospect that he wasn't going to be my pastor anymore. I mean, I struggled with these things. What's going to happen to me as a pastor? I can't be a pastor if he's not there to oversee it. I won't be able to do that. I'll probably just have to go back to coaching or do something else. There won't be any way for me to, you know, do what I've been doing. These disciples are all stressed out about it. And Jesus is going to promise that the Holy Spirit's getting ready to come. In, this, in the Gospels, Jesus says that they ought not fret or that they ought not worry on the basis that Jesus was going to be gone because they couldn't be what God had intended for them to be had he stayed in the form and in the, in the role that he was presently. Now, how many of you guys have ever said this? I really wish I could have been there when Jesus was on earth. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen him. I wish I could have hung out with him, heard his voice, seen his mannerisms, been with him, walking with him, right? Sitting around a campfire. I don't know if we picture, you know. Uh, Jesus doing during those three years but you know some of us picture all these different things you know maybe on a boat maybe if we could have been there while he was uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount it would have been really cool to be there when he rose Lazarus from the dead it would have been amazing to see a few fish and a few loaves and the food dispersed in basketfuls I mean all these things we say it would have been amazing to go and to be with Jesus now that would have been. It would have been amazing. I've fantasized about something like that. All of us have, if we're Christians. 
But Jesus says there's something else. There's something even better than that. That's what he's trying to communicate to his disciples, and they could not wrap their brain around it. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. I mean, that's our life. If you're a Christian this morning, you realize that the Holy Spirit living in you, that's your life. If the Holy Spirit left you, if, he, if God took his spirit away from us, that would be the death of all of us. That's why I don't know how people who don't have God live. I mean, you, have you ever thought about that? Like people who are living in the world who don't have Jesus, you think, how do they do that? I would die if I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And he says, you guys are limited even in my presence. Now, we know in the Gospels, Jesus sent them out two by two. You remember when they were going out and they were performing miracles? You guys remember that? That's pretty amazing, right? How many of you guys have perpetrated miracles? I mean, they were doing it and they hadn't even received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God was on them, but he wasn't in them. And this is what Jesus begins to talk about to his disciples. You think about it. He's saying, it's greater for me to go away for you. You will have a more profound experience of the power of God when I leave. Because the confidence that you have in me doing the stuff is going to be transferred from me to you. And the presence of God in you is the hope of all glory. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, is imparted into your life, that it will be far better than when I was walking on the earth with you. Think about this. For Jesus to take all the risks... We look at the Gospels. There was, there was some hero worship going on. Rightfully so. He's a son of God. But they were looking at Jesus and they were saying, wow, look at Jesus. Look at what he did. Look at what he just said. They marveled at everything that Jesus did, everything that he was perpetrating during his three-year ministry. They looked at it and they were just in awe. And they should have been. And Jesus was saying, listen, as much as you're doing that about my life and about what you're seeing, about what you're witnessing, anyone who has faith in me will be able to do the things that I'm doing. And even greater things will they do because I'm going to send my spirit to live in them. And the disciples didn't want to hear any of it because they were happy to just see Jesus do it. Now understand where I'm going in this, in this sermon I was planning to go on a different direction, but the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing this morning. How many of us have been guilty of hero worship? Hey, pastor, uh, what are you doing right now? There's a guy here at work. He needs Jesus. He's ready to pray the sinner's prayer. What time can you be here to pray him through the sinner's prayer? Hey, bro, uh, I appreciate that and everything, but do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Well, um, yeah. Um, You lead him to Christ. How about that? There's an idea. (gasps) Me? I'm not the pastor. I can't lead him to Jesus. 
Well, why not? I asked you a legitimate question to begin the whole thing. I asked you, do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Yes. Then you have everything you need. Lead them. But I, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know the Bible like you know the Bible. We do this with our pastors. We do this with our Bible teachers. We do this with our staff people. I've seen before where teenage, teenagers like stress out when a youth pastor leaves. They almost lose their salvation. The youth pastor's leaving. I don't know what we're going to do now. Maybe you were worshiping your youth pastor, bro. I'm going to digress just a tad here. If you're in a position of leadership, whether a pastor, whether a staff person, whether a discipler, whether a Sunday school teacher, whether a children's director, whether whatever, your job is not to connect people to yourself. It's tempting, you guys, honestly, when you're in a position of leadership to like the leadership role that you have, to kind of relish in that opportunity that you have to lead people. Spiritual pride can seep in and think, you know, like, man, people really need me. I remember early on that, that uh, I was teaching a, a Sunday school, and I thought, man, I was doing a pretty good job. It was growing. We had started it with about maybe 10 people, and there were about 50, 55 people. We couldn't even, we didn't have enough room in that thing. And I'm thinking, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a good teacher. I had a discipler that was just not, he didn't mince words like at all. One time we sit down at Starbucks and we're talking, whatever. And he says to me, he says, you know, nobody needs you. God doesn't need you. If it's not for God, you're nothing. And you're nothing anyway. Well, all of us are. But you specifically, God wanted me to tell you that. I started thinking, you know, have you been looking at the Sunday school roles? My Wednesday class is growing. The pastor has put me in a position that and he said, let me, let me reiterate to you. Nobody needs you. The world was here before you got here. And after you leave, it'll keep spinning. And you won't even be a blip. When people have a memorial service, they come to the memorial service, they say some nice things about you, and that's pretty much the last time they're going to talk about you, other than your family members. Let that sink in, Steve. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, it was true. Now, some of us in here think, dude, man, lighten up. The guy talking, all of us listening, take everything that God gives you with a grain of salt, understanding that it's him. He's the one that endures forever. That's why it's important for us to connect people, not to us, but to him. Here's why. If, for instance, if, if Pastor Bain had gone to San Diego, he didn't end up going to San Diego. You guys want to know the end of the story. He didn't go. Didn't feel like he was led. We ended up serving a few more years together after that. But had he died, had he served somewhere else, if I would have attached myself to him and, and attached specifically my faith to him, then my faith dies when he dies. My faith leaves when he leaves. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't listen. It doesn't mean that we don't hold these people in high esteem. That we love them. That we care about them. That we understand that you know what these guys are placed by God for my benefit spiritually, right? For for all these things that the, these leaders do in our lives, we're grateful for them. But we we are loan them. God lends them to us. God doesn't just you know everything's going to stay the same for the rest of your life. Everything changes. But here's what I've realized, that every single person throughout my spiritual development, they've been loaned to me for a time, for a season. And as that's happened, I've been able to benefit from each of those people as I focus on God. God uses them strategically for my development. Today, I'm the Christian and the pastor that I am because of all of their contributions to my life and there's going to be more of these kinds of people in my life that God will loan to me for that purpose so that while I go all the way through till the very end and I breathe my last that all of these people and all of these seasons have been used by God through them but it's not by them it's by him does everybody understand that and see, this is important in this kind of a passage because these guys, they don't know the big picture. Like if they had the big picture, Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the dead and been with them for 40 days and they still didn't get it. If you look in the book of Acts, these guys had been with Jesus for 40 days. He had holes in his hands and in his feet, a space in his side. He was glistening. I mean, come on. He, he, he confounded matter. He could walk through walls. And door's locked and he's in the room with them and nobody opened the door. How did he do that? You'd think they'd get it. You'd think they'd be like, hey, you know what? Okay, now, okay. And then they're saying, well, is now the time you're going to restore Israel? And Jesus is like, that's not even for you to know. But you guys are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to go into every corner of the world. They still didn't get it. They didn't have a big picture. Here's what's, here's, this is important, I think, you guys. You don't have big picture. And I don't have big picture. Because I'm not omniscient and neither are you. You guys aren't all knowing. I, it, one of the crisis moments I had in that time in San Diego was, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what I need. You don't know that I can't do without this, this pastor in my life. Do you understand how comical that is to God? What I love about God is that he lets us process through things. Like, I know that like with my kids, when they process through stuff, especially things that they struggle through, there's a gentleness that God has provided for parents that we could come alongside our kids and be like, I'm going to let you process through this, but I'm going to be with you while you process through it. I love you, son. Let's do it together. I, I believe God does that with us, like when we're having these struggle moments. God, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I, I need this guy. And I believe he places these crisis moments in our lives so that we can take our focus off of these people and put them back on him. Do you really need me? Do you, I mean, are, are you placing all of your trust in this individual? Let me ask you a question. I'll ask you two questions this morning, actually. 
Is there that kind of a person in your life right now? Maybe it's a discipler. Maybe it's an instrumental person in the church, a, a lay person. If they decided they were going to move somewhere, another part of the country, or, or maybe they died. Is there that kind of a person in your life that you place so much trust in that it's possible that you're actually replacing God with them? Here's the second question. If in the event that that person was removed from your life, would your faith change at all? Would there be a a bump in the road? Would there be maybe a downward progression? Would there be a a, a, kind of a, a lax attitude the intensity that you had under this kind of a spiritual leader, that when that leader is taken away, would there be any kind of a temptation to actually just coast and cruise and kind of just flatline? You see, if you need these kinds of people in your life to keep pushing you and to keep trying to inspire you and all these kinds of things, then you're probably reliant too much on this individual. These guys, they, they just did not have big picture and what God was, Jesus was trying to do with these guys is, listen, there's even something bigger for you that's waiting for you, even bigger than what I've been able to display for you. And you're going to be the owner of it. Now, how many of us this morning would say, you know what, listen, Pastor, I, I envision that God could do amazing things in and through my life. But it's yours for the taking. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how experienced you are or lack thereof. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter any of these things. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And when he died for sinners, these people who come to him and understand a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that these people received the Holy Spirit, the power of God in us. This isn't for anybody else. This is for you. It's for all of us. Have you ever wondered, maybe this person that I've entrusted everything to, maybe they're they're actually the ones that are holding me back. My reliance upon them has actually thwarted my growth. We served a few more years with Pastor Bain, and amazing things happened in that ministry. And I did a lot of different things under that ministry. Started off as an adults pastor, age group 35 to 50, and then he says, Pastor Bain says, okay, I want you to do something else, okay? Did education. I was writing all the Bible studies for the church, teaching all the teachers, okay? Then I started doing the management of all the staff, because we had 13 staff pastors, and that was my job to manage these people. And then God says, I want you to be a lead, Pastor Bain paid me a, a, a compliment the other day that I just didn't, I didn't almost want to accept it. I didn't want to receive it. 
I'm not saying it because I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just helping us to understand from the context of what we're talking about today. For the purposes of you guys understanding that maybe you're not everything that you need to be because you've placed all of your trust and your reliance on a person as, as opposed to the one that God sent that person. The things that we've experienced as a lead pastor, as a, as a couple, as a family, in the different places we've gone, I never in a thousand years would have fathomed that we could have made an impact like we've made in the places where we've been. And that's going to continue no matter where we ever end up. Not because of anything that we put our trust in an individual, but because we put it in him. There's a humanity side, a human side here, I think. We love people. We care about people. They're family. I mean, even though they might not be family, they're family. To the disciples, Jesus was family. He was everything to them. They left everything to follow him. Notwithstanding even the, the kingdom stuff, they were friends. They did everything together. I mean, these guys, there's stuff that's not written in the Gospels that I guarantee, I mean, fun things that they did. They probably laughed. I mean, there was probably stuff around the campfire that they talked about that maybe there was, I, I, I like to picture Jesus laughing sometimes. You know, like during the Gospels, like he would just start cracking up. Well, if he's human, like we're human, how many of you guys have ever just cracked up laughing just so hard your, your sides hurt? Do we have any snorters in here? When you start laughing real hard, you start snorting. Okay, that's, that's cool. It's, that always makes me laugh harder. When I hear someone snort, then I start laughing even harder. They cried together. They went through tough things together. I love that when Jesus was made aware that Lazarus' friend had died, that the Bible says he saw all of their pain and he himself wept. These guys experienced a lot of things together. From the human element, when we have people in our lives that mean something to us, that we've gone through things with them, we, we've, done, we've, we've, we've been there when they were hurting, they were there when we were hurting, we've, we've laughed together, we've done things together. Now comes the time where it's going to be, well, something's going to change. Well, I mean, the, the, it's not that we're robots and nothing hurts us and we just, you know, we don't, we're humans. All of us are humans. We have feelings. We have emotions. We have attachments. Nothing wrong with that. Where it becomes problematic is if we're unwilling to follow through with the next phase of God's plan for our lives in exchange for this attachment that we have over here. That's where it becomes a problem. And I just want to encourage you this morning that if there's ever anything like that in your own life, where God is getting ready to move you or move them, somebody dies or, some, or you know, something changes in your life, that you can make peace with that, knowing that God has a bigger plan. These guys had no idea about this plan. They, they had no way to comprehend it. And yet, when we read about the accounts of all of the apostles and some of the things that they did, Jesus' words came to fruition. John chapter 14, verse 12 actually happened in their lives. They did the things that Jesus had been doing, and they did greater things. I love this idea that when God's 
plan is being implemented through my life, that I'm able to glean something from every other season that I've lived to that point and to be able to start applying those things. And I remember the faces of the people who gave me these good instructions, these good uh, plans of implementation that, that all of a sudden they start, and I remember them and I'm like, man, that is so good. And then I have a, 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 a happy feeling in my heart and I, that's when I shoot a text to somebody or that's when I call them up and say, hey, listen, do you remember that time? You told me this. Well, I applied it today, and this is what happened. And then we have relationship all over again. That's why when you read the accounts of Paul, like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, let, understand about Paul, he didn't stay anywhere long at all. He wasn't anywhere longer than about two and a half years in any place. And in some cases, it was a lot less time. When we were studying in Thessalonians, he was there for three Sabbaths, and he was gone. But he would send these letters, and he would write in those letters some of the things that had happened and, and how he had applied some of the things that were done back here, and he would do them over here. And, uh, and then he would remember these people that he had shared ministry with, and, and with fondness of memory, he was able to say to these guys, I miss you guys, and, and I'm so glad that we had the time that we had together. And, and so the human element is huge. When we talk about God's plan, that we understand that he wants to do something with me. And he's using, listen, 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 listen. Grab a hold of this, please. That disciple that you have in your life, that Bible study teacher that you uh, learn under, that's not meant so that you guys can always be in that, in that role. This is the problem in the churches, you guys. We've assumed roles that were meant to be temporary and made them permanent. You want me to say that again? This is, a re this is real in the churches. So like, for instance, you have a person who's been coming to the church for 50 years, and they've been a lay person sitting in a pew learning for 50 years, and they've not applied anything that they've learned in the 50 years they've been coming to church. Well, he's the pastor. I'm the lay person. I'm supposed to sit here and receive from the pastor because that's my role. You know what, that was, that's the role of a person who's unsaved, and that's the role of a person who's a baby Christian. But God does not expect you to stay sitting in your chair the rest of your spiritual life. I'm supposed to learn under this guy who's my discipler. Do you guys remember Kung Fu? David Carradine in the 1970s, you guys remember that? Remember at the beginning of the show, here's, here's little, little David, uh, not David, Kung, uh, Quang Chang Kane was his name. I remember that. He, they, he come to the deal there, and there's this guy who has his weird-looking eyes. He's blind. Remember him? He was the master. He was the sensei. All the young people have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe you've seen it in syndication. But he'd be sitting there at the opening, and here's this little guy. He's a kid. And he says, when you can snatch the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave. And the, the rock would still be there. So the little guy had not learned all the lessons. He had not developed. And he says, now as an older guy, he looked like an older teenager, maybe early 20s, and he says, when you can snatch the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave. Time for you to leave. Understand that the reason we have church 
is not so that you can be a good churchman. We're in the process of building the kingdom. Do you understand that? Every single one of us are kingdom people. That's why I, I don't look at church as a, just, a, a, just a, a, a thing in and of itself. Church is huge. We understand church and the church of the Nazarene. We, we belong to, other, to a bigger movement than just only our own local body. You realize that when you go to district assembly or you go on the mission field and you do a work and witness trip, and you realize that it's all over the world. It's a big, breathing organism. But then we understand not only is there a church of the Nazarene, we have our brothers and sisters who are Methodist, and we have our brothers and sisters who are Baptist, and we have our brothers and sisters who are uh, Calvary Chapel, and these people all love God, and we all together have Jesus Christ living inside our hearts, and we are the kingdom of God. Why is this important? Here's why. Because when you understand this, that the kingdom at large when, so for instance, if you had a Pastor Roger who was your pastor for 13 years and he's doing something else, doing hospice, he's still in the kingdom. He's just being used in a different part of it. I don't take ownership of a Pastor Roger if I've been here for the last 12 years and say, he's my pastor. No, he's God's pastor and he was loaned to you for 13 years and you benefited from his ministry however you did and now God has pulled him out and moved him here and now God is using him here. But I, here's what I believe about lay people. They don't have this concept. They are so just narrow-focused narrow, narrow focused like these disciples. Jesus, you better not go anywhere. We're never going to let that happen to you. Because this is what we understand. This is what we know. And God's saying, I'm getting ready to rock your boat. And the things that you understand and the things that you're comfortable about, I want to completely disrupt that. And I want to use you for my glory and the growth of the kingdom. So it's imperative that you don't just sit here and be entertained. I don't care who the pastor is. That you take every single thing that you get and you're already thinking how you're going to implement that. First, in your own life. Second, once you've already implemented it in your own life, you go and you give it away. But I'm going to tell you something. The model, the modern church model that we have, that you have these charismatic individuals who stand on a platform and they spout for however long they do every single Sunday and their audiences come and listen. It's almost like going to a movie, except we don't have popcorn. And the role of the church is not to entertain the people who come and listen. It's to equip the saints for works of ministry. You understand, that's why Jesus is saying he's getting ready to go. I'm going, and when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Why? So you can enjoy him? I heard a pastor one time say, God doesn't give the Holy Spirit for your enjoyment. He gives the Holy Spirit for your employment. So you can go and build the kingdom. See, it's a lot easier if I can just look at Jesus and say, Jesus, we're just going to go ahead and say, wow, you're awesome, but not us. You did all the miracles, but not us. You were obedient to the Father, but not us. You're the one who did all the preaching and the teaching, but not us. It's easy to do that. It's easy to pass the buck. But Jesus never said that. In fact, the Bible describes Jesus as the first among many brethren, not the only one. 
You know what that means? That everybody else who's going to follow him would have access to the same spirit. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, you did not receive a different spirit. You've got to get excited about something like that. Because he who lives in you is greater than he that lives in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit in you. I think sometimes we have to back up the train and ask the question, does the Holy Spirit really even live in me? There should be evidence. We live these ho-hum lives. Lives that can be lived without God. And we're happy to just go ahead and project all of that on Jesus and to say, wow, Jesus was awesome, but we can never be like Jesus. And that's not even biblical. We don't realize to what extent that we've kind of just done that. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare. And you know what? As much as he talks about preparing a place, because he's going to prepare a place. In fact, we're going to all partake of that amazing place. Those of us who are excited about heaven, it's going to be amazing. It's going to blow our minds. Even as much as we can kind of try to comprehend how amazing it's going to be, it's going to blow our minds. We won't even be able to fathom it until we see it. But I guarantee that God has already begun to prepare your hearts for the work that he wants to do now. If we'll take our eyes off of this and put them there. And what I mean like this, I'm talking about getting tripped up in hero worship. You have one hero. And it's not Superman, and it's not Spider-Man, and it's not any of these other nonsensical characters. He's our hero. He's the one that we place all of our trust in. Trust in God, trust also in me. As God begins to do these things in your lives, whether it's disciples or Bible teachers or even pastors, it could be your parents. Have you ever thought about that one? The first time that my son looked at me, maybe it was about, he was about three, it was Ezra. And I remember he looked at me like I could, I, I, I hung the moon. Like, I could do no wrong. You know, you, how many dads have ever f- seen that look when, they're, when your kids were little and they look at you like, you're my world. And I had a, I had this aha moment in that, in that time, in that instance. That it just, it was happening and God's saying, And your job, Steve, for Ezra and for Silas will be not to connect you, connect them to you, but your role will be to connect them to me. My role as a parent is not even to love my kids as much as it's to train them in the way that they should go. I love them, there's no doubt about it. But my primary job is to make sure that they're not connected to me, but that they're connected to him. 
I, I have to, con- I'm not always going to be a, there with them. Do you understand about this kind of a hero worship that we, 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 we either embrace, we, we, we want people to embrace us that way, or we're embracing other people, is that we become a stumbling block to them as opposed to help to them. Think about this. How many parents would like to be with your kids 24 hours a day, seven days a week? How many of you guys would just love to be, when they're out with their friends and they're going to go out and do something, you'd like to be there and say, uh-uh-uh. Don't say that. Don't do that. Not a good idea. I told a parent recently, trust the training. I, I told a parent that. They were, they were all stressed out about their 20-something kid. Kid. Adult. Trust the training. Did you train them? Did you train them in the way that they should go? Yes. Well, trust the training. Trust God. Stop. They're going to make their own mistakes, but that's okay. They'll always go back to the training if you trained them. The Holy Spirit, like as a pastor, I remember the first pastor I was getting ready to leave, and I thought, Lord, if I leave, these people are going to, he says, shut up. Have you been preaching the word? Yes. Have you been giving them truth? Yes. Have you been preaching from the word? Yes. Well, then trust it. They don't need you. They need me. That was a humbling experience. But here's the benefit of all that. I'm I'm getting ready to close here now. Listen to the benefit. Here's the benefit. Please don't be distracted by the musicians getting ready to do their thing. We've seen them get up how many thousands of times. Let's focus because this is important. The beauty of all of this is when you raise up a child, and yes, they make their mistakes. Yes, they do boneheaded things. They can even get in trouble. But the benefit is when they look at all of these things that they've done and they learn And you get to see them flourish as an adult, and you think, praise God. That's that's outstanding. Yeah, it was bumpy. Yeah, it was scary. A few times I had to bite my tongue. But the training worked. From a pastor perspective, I'm telling you, there there are folks that we've had the benefit of pastoring, of leading, of mentoring, discipling. And these people today have taken these teachings and they've gone to levels I never dreamed of. And it wasn't because of their pastor, it was because of the truth that their pastor projected, that they used. Trust God. Trust also in me. Where I'm going, you know what Jesus is really saying? I'm going ahead of you. God goes ahead of us to make sure that no matter where we're going to end up, he's got us. He's got you. You don't know the answer. You don't know what it's going to look like, how it's going to unfold. You don't know that. None of us do. But Jesus is like, listen, I'm going to go ahead of you. I, I got you. 
You just got to trust in me. Let me read to you from the message. I, I love it, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. And we're going to pray for some people this morning who need healing. Uh, we're going to do that. Uh, I'm going to ask for the musicians to just be instant in season and out of season, and we'll just let the Holy Spirit move however we see that he wants to move. This is in John chapter 14 message, okay? Peterson. I like how he says this. Don't let this throw you. You trust God, don't you? You trust God, don't you? How many of you guys trust God this morning? I trust God. I like this. I like the way he puts it. He says, you trust God, don't you? Well, trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my father's house. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm, not gonna, that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get a room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. You already, the, you already know the road that I'm taking. I love his assurance to us. Listen, I'm going to go ahead of you, and, and I have good for you, and, and you don't have to stress. You don't have to worry. I got you. No matter what, I got you. And those are the best hands that we can be in. Amen? Amen. I know we've been praying for Miss Carrie. I'm going to ask you to come up. It's been a, a battle for years now. You know, off and on, off and on, off and on, off and on. We pray for her. Miss Anna, I'd like you to come up. And this week, she um, found out that she has uh, some skin uh, issues, cancerous uh, that we're going to pray for this morning. And you, I don't know if you need Brother Zach, but I'm going to ask him to step off his guitar and come and represent your mom. And if you'd come on over here, just by these ladies, that'd be great. And we'll anoint you on your mom's behalf, okay? We'll, we'll do that. And if there's anybody that you say, I want to come up to pray for myself, something that I, I heard this morning that I just need to get off my, my chest. I need to get right with God. I need to get real with God, uh, whatever. Then altars are open to do that this morning like we normally do. Um, and so we're going to do it in order. What we're going to do is we're going to pray for these people that need healing and then uh, we'll pray for those folks that feel like, you know, you were impacted by what God did here today, okay? Let's bring those lights down, and uh, we're going to go to prayer. If you want to come and support any of these people, your family, your friends, whatever, you want to come, the only thing I would say, don't come up here if you're not going to pray believing. We want people that, when they pray, they believe that God could do something. That's what the Bible says, that if we pray believing, so that's how we're going we're gonna to pray, a prayer of faith. We understand that faith does not heal anyone. It's divine healing. God's the one that heals people. But it's through our faith that he does that. So let's open up our faith. And let's see what God could do to bring about healing for these uh, three ladies. Uh, Brother uh, Zach is uh, representing his mom. So if I could get in here. 
Lord, in the name of Jesus, we anoint Brother Zach on behalf of his mom in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit for healing. And we know, Lord, that you can do abundantly above anything we could ever ask or imagine. That what a doctor says about our health, and we're grateful for the doctors, we're grateful for the nurses, medical technology, all of it, Lord, we're grateful. But we know that you supersede all of it. And we know that you can, you can heal someone, that you can lift them up, that where there is cancer or there's a tumor or there's this or that or whatever, that you're the one that can remove those things and make someone whole. So we pray, Lord, for Miss Debbie, Lord, and we thank you that what you're going to do in her body, that she'll be able to know that God's the one that did it. And even right now, and it is just after 12 o'clock, we know, Lord, that at noon, she'd be able to say, you know what, something happened. It was about noon when it took place. And I'll know, we'll know, all of us together, that it was about that time that we were praying for her. So we pray for healing in the name of Jesus for her. And we thank you in advance for whatever it is that you want to do to perpetrate this, uh, this healing. And we'll give you all the praise. So, Lord, right now, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray for our sister Anna. And the news that you hear when you hear that uh, you have potential cancer here or there, we're going to do biopsies and we're going to run tests. Immediately we're flooded with worry. We start to think, oh man, my life is so, sh it's so early and I I'm still young. And, and all these thoughts that we have and and the devil comes to try to get us to have fear and anxiety and, and uh, it steals joy and all of a sudden then we just don't even have any kind of hope and all of these things, God. And we want to pray against that right now in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would bring joy to Miss Anna, that you would help her uh, even right now to, to um, place her trust and, and all of her confidence in your healing power. So we pray for healing for her, Lord God, that <clears throat> whatever it is that they're um, suggesting that she does, these doctors, if you don't divinely heal her, Lord God, that uh, this would run its course and it would be done and this would be yet another opportunity for praise. We pray, Lord God, knowing that in the New Testament that whenever you went and you touched someone, they were whole. Whenever you said uh, whatever you said, that it was so. And God, we pray that that same power that was manifested in that first century would manifest itself in our sister, Anna, and that there would be absolutely no sign, uh, no, no evidence at all of any kind of cancer, skin or otherwise. We thank you in advance for her, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we anoint Miss Carrie in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for her, Lord God. This kind of a report that she's received not once or twice, three times, four times, I mean, how many times? And every time, there's a temptation to worry. There's the temptation to fret and to have anxiety and fear, vacuum of joy and peace. There's that temptation. But every time there's been that temptation, Miss Carrie has decided to resist that temptation and to place her trust in you. Nonetheless, we pray that you would give her joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. 
We pray, God, that you would just place in her peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray, God, that she would know, that she knows, that she knows that she's in good hands. Not because she's in the hands of a great doctor, but she's in the hands of the great physician. That, God, you're going to manifest a miracle yet again. Every time that there's been a report, you've come back at it with healing. And we don't doubt that you're going to do that yet again. What we're asking, Lord, is one final healing once and for good that's how we pray God you can decide to do whatever you want but we're gonna pray that way that it will be done that will be over and that's a, a memory God we just would ask for the family I know that when all of our families when when we're impacted by that word cancer that it not only affects the person but it affects the families and we pray God for husbands and wives and kids Lord that whenever they hear this report that you'd be able to envelop all of them together as one, and that they would have your peace, that they would know that mom or wife or husband, they, they're going to be okay because they're in God's hands. And so we pray for healing for our sister Carrie in the name of Jesus. We thank you for these healings in advance, Lord God, and we pray, we do indeed pray for healing, devastating, utter healing. As we're getting ready, Lord God, to embark into a new week it has challenges it has struggles there's all kinds of things happening help us to know help us to remember help us to take note you're already there you're already preparing a place you're already preparing our words our path how we're going to step. You've already thought of those things. And for us, Lord God, we just want to trust you. This morning we were talking about trusting people. Sometimes we have placed these key figures that you put there. And we replaced you with them. And we're putting our focus and our trust in them and, and we're grateful for them. The same way the disciples didn't want you to go and didn't want to talk about that you're going to die. What they didn't understand is that they needed to learn everything they needed to learn and they needed to trust you because they had work of their own to do. May we, Lord, take full advantage of the good people and the good teachings that they bring, the good instruction that they entrust to us. And we, may we begin to grow in our faith. May we take all of these things with the full understanding that this time that we have here, it's a season. And you're preparing us for the next one if we'll remember that the one who sent all of these servants is the one we need to focus upon. And so we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you for the opportunities that you've granted to all of us. We pray, Lord, that as we do go in different directions, that you would look after us, that you would guide and direct our path. And in all things, Lord God, that you'd receive the glory and all the honor because you're the one who ultimately 
is worthy of it all. For we pray all these things in the strongest name, that's Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Brother Clark and the worship team, do you guys have something peppy that you could send us out on? I know that typically we do a worshipful song, but something that as the people are saying goodbye to each other on their way out that they could jam to. Do we have anything like that? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Lights came back on. Thank you. And uh, as you're on your way out, you want to just soak in this good music, this good song. Find somebody you haven't said uh, hi to and wish them a great week. God bless you all. You're dismissed.